Legends of Time, The Lost Tree Written and read by Stephanie Ed Prologue Once upon a time, in a distant green country, a tawny woman with black hair and taupe eyes knelt humming in a garden. Melody concluded, she sat up and ran her filthy hands together. She had just finished planting three sunflower seeds, and with satisfaction stood and brushed off her wool-clad knees. Looking up toward the sun, she tilted her hat back and admired the clouds. Dusk was falling, and she returned to her cottage, where she would sleep and dream of her garden. The next morning, she emerged from the back door to find something unexpected. The three sunflower seeds she had slipped into the earth less than a day before had grown full and yellow and heavy overnight. Reasonably concerned, the woman approached the sunflowers carefully, the watering can outstretched as if it were a shield. When she reached the blooms, she found they were nearly waist-tall. Leaning over the nearest, she blinked at the large black seeds in its center. She wrinkled her nose, puzzled at their miraculous appearance. Then she jumped! The farthest flower had emitted a very silly noise with which she was very familiar, the sound like the air being squeezed out of a flagon. She stepped away and stared at it. The world paused for several long moments. Then, to her astonishment, a pink tongue protruded from a black mouth in the center of the sunflower. It blew another raspberry. <laughs> then the second blew a raspberry. <laughs> and the third. <laughs> then the first started to whistle. The other two joined in harmony, and they whistled the song she had hummed to them as she planted their seeds just a night before. The woman stood rod straight and still as they whistled, frozen as she listened to their elaboration on her song, and when they finished, she took the smallest of breaths. "'How long has it been?' the first flower asked in a high voice. "'How long has it been?' the second flower asked in a low voice. "'Do you know how long it has been?' the third flower asked calmly. The blossoms leaned in toward the woman. "'Since when?' the woman asked weakly. "'Since the prince was seized,' the first answered, sounding outraged. "'The prince?' the woman repeated, blinking. "'Yes, the boy prince,' the second replied. "'He was seized in the wood.' She put her fist to her mouth, remembering the story vividly. "'It has been,' she began, "'twenty years.' Oh, the flowers wailed in unison. So sad, the first said, waving back and forth on its thick, flexible stem. So long, said the second. Too long, concluded the third. What happened to him? the maiden asked. Who are you? the first flower asked, ignoring her question. Me, the maiden replied, taking a step back. Yes, maid said the second flower. "'Who are you?' asked the third. "'I am time. I'm a schoolteacher here.' She jerked a thumb over her shoulder. "'You teach time?' the first flower replied. "'Yes, I teach the children here.' "'In this land of the lost prince?' the second asked. "'What happened to the prince?' time asked, stepping closer. "'He was caught.' said the third flower, in the wood, deep in the wood. This wood? Time asked, pointing ahead of her. 
Though many feared the dark forest, her home was the closest of the village. No one seemed to mind this other than to look up and shiver when a sinister adventure was described within it. Though it was commonly held that one must never, ever travel into it. And nobody had in all that time. Yes, said the first flower. This would. We were sent as seeds, said the second. To seek help, added the third. It has been so long, and the boy needs help, continued the first. Where is he? Time asked breathlessly. Deep in, the second flower said. And to her surprise, the second continued the story. He went in years past. He went deep. He found a tree. They are old, the most old, and the most strong. They have grown dark and mad, for your queen had cleared much of their wood, which is their home. And Roth, the tree, took the boy. He has not been seen, but he yet lives. He lives? Time replied. Yes, said the third flower. He lives, said the first, and the tree is strong. But they do bad, said the second. They are dark, they are mad. They hear, though they do not see, added the third. They know and they rule. And the shade is thick. Base things, foul things, low things grow in it. Time blinked in astonishment and asked, So some of the tales are true? We do not know the tales, said the first flower. But we have seen much pain, added the second. Our sire died to send us, said the third. So we might save the wood, continued the first. And the boy, too, added the second. Can you help? the third asked softly. Time blinked and thought. How can I help? You must seek the boy, said the first flower. You must free him, continued the second. Then we feel the wood will heal, added the third. It would be dangerous, wouldn't it? Time asked, kneeling down in front of the flowers and setting the watering can aside. Yes, there is great risk. There is much fear, said the first flower. The one who seeks the prince may not live, added the second. But we beg you to try, said the third, so that the wood will be free once more. With a squint, time hummed and said, You said the tree hears. Does that mean they will know I have entered? Yes, they will know, said the second flower though they have much to mind throughout the forest, and you will be but one thing in it. You must not let them work out your quest, added the third hastily. Look down, said the first flower. See the weed, said the second flower. It will help you, added the third. Time looked down before the flowers, and saw a thickly-rooted dandelion growing heartily where it had not a day before. Fat, Firm leaves protruded on either side of the wide, long stem of the bloom, which was shaggy, yellow, and full. Time reached for it. It moved like a plant when she caressed its leaves, but when she grabbed its stem, it stiffened instantly, firming until it was harder and less yielding than either stone or human will. Time wrapped her other hand around it and, with a jerk, yanked it from the ground like a carrot. Its root glinted in the sunlight and she realized it was a flat blade the width of her wrist. Time pulled it free from the earth and laid it across her lap. The steel was tinted slightly green, the sunlight dazzled upon it like a river of silver and algae. 
but the handle looked just as it had as it grew in the earth, a hardy green dandelion weed, the guard's two long, thick leaves, and the pommel blossom bright, full, sunny yellow. The sword felt very light in her hands. "'You must wield the blade,' said the first flower. "'You must be wise,' said the second flower. "'And you must be brave,' added the third. Time looked from the flowers down to the sword and back again. She did not know for sure if she should believe them. She had never seen magic before. She did not know if the flowers could be trusted, if they were good. "'The tree has grown evil?' Time asked. "'They have grown dark,' said the first flower firmly. Time nodded, understanding, and was satisfied enough. She stood up. "'I will go,' she said to the flowers. "'Will you remain here?' "'We will wait,' said the second flower. "'We will hope for you,' added the third flower. Time nodded again and walked back into her cottage. Her first move was to retrieve a parchment and write the message, "'On a quest in the forest. I do not know when I will return, but I intend to. Do not pursue me.'" She tacked it to her front door, knowing that an afternoon visitor would find it and take care of her students. Back inside, she stuffed herself with a second breakfast and filled a bag with food and much water, for she knew that she must not eat or drink what the dark wood might offer. She changed clothes trading her plum dress for sturdy trousers, a green tunic, a brown waistcoat and knee-high boots, and worn leather bracers. She dusted off a scabbard she found in a trunk and slid the dandelion sword into it. Then she strapped it to her hip, slung the pack over her back, and wrapped herself in a dark green cloak, securing it with an old bronze clasp. Patting the first sunflower gently as she went, time unlatched her fence and ventured into the wood. Part 1. The Wild Wood Time had gone only a few yards into the wood when she noted that while the darkness held its own hush, small blades of light still cut through the leaves this close to the edge of the forest. She looked up at them and searched the foliage. She didn't know what for, but when she saw it, she knew. In between the brown, warm, young trees protruded thin, thorny black branches. They seemed to come from within and did not belong to the trees they touched. Time pulled her hood over her head and plunged deeper, looking up to spy the black branches that were her guide. She walked slowly, carefully. The trees here were still somewhat young, slender, and for the first half hour of her slow, careful walk, she even came upon small clearings of moss and rock. After an hour, she came upon a small creek. It glittered and glimmered. Time could almost feel the light shimmering in her own eyes. She looked up, expecting further breaks of sunlight in the canopy. Instead, where there should have been room for breeze, were many thin, black branches that ran between the trees as if woven there. No direct light entered here. So wherefore did the water sparkle? Time paused before it, hesitant to get closer, but the glimmering and trickling and tinkling was so beautiful that she couldn't turn away. She stared down at the creek, and it wasn't until she nearly fell forward into it did she realize she had been ensnared. She stood up straight, took a step back, and sucked in a deep breath. "'Have a drink if you're thirsty,' 
a voice croaked from the water. Time nearly leapt out of her britches, terror shooting through her. She searched around, wondering if it had been the water that spoke. But it wasn't. Across the small creek sat a pitch-black toad with silver eyes. They were staring up at her, the glimmering water dancing in those protuberant orbs. It is delicious, the toad said. Thank you, Time replied, trying to muster her manners. But I'm not thirsty. Then why did you stop at the creek? The toad croaked back. Time paused for a moment. Then she decided to admit it. It's beautiful. Its magic distracted me. Magic? The toad said. It's a magic creek, is it? Maybe not, Time admitted again. But I was affected. It has an influence. An influence? The toad asked. Yes, Time bit back. Why do you want me to drink from the creek? It would be best, the toad replied. They smacked their lips together and looked down at the water. Best for whom? Time asked, squinting at the toad. The toad blinked and was quiet for a moment. Why are you here? The toad asked after that moment. Why is that your business, comrade? Time retorted, lifting her eyebrows. The toad croaked loudly, and Time wondered if it was amused or derisive. It is far more presumptuous, the toad replied, to say that you have business here where I live. You like it dark like this, Time replied. The toad shot out a long tongue into the creek. They croaked and then replied, Many things do. Is all the water like this? Time asked, finally gathering the courage to kneel down and look closer. The water seemed to shimmer even more brightly while its color took on an even deeper inky black. As opposed to what? The toad asked. Healthy, Time replied before she fully thought out her meaning. The toad croaked loudly again. Then they said, I doubt it, and hopped into the stream, disappearing from sight. Time waited a minute for the toad to come up, but then she blinked. Toads don't swim. Time clutched her cloak tighter and resolved that she would have to cross the stream to follow the branches. She backed up a few steps, took in a deep breath, and ran for the water. She leapt just at its edge and landed on the opposite shore. She looked back quickly to see if she had trodden in the mud, but her boots seemed undamaged. Sparing one more search for the toad, time turned and headed off on the path. Another two hours passed in near silence. Along the way, the only movement was from various insects and arachnids. Some of the dark blue elm trees had vast webs adorning their branches in which not single occupants resided, but dozens of tiny spiders scurrying towards the edges of their weavings to look at the stranger in their midst. Soon after, time came upon a dark brown oak covered with a hundred black moths all gently flexing their wings, the patterns upon them glimmering eerily like the creek she'd crossed. Then, after going on alone, free of creatures, time paused at a tall brown tree she didn't recognize and withdrew her water skin. She took in a mouthful and carefully replaced the cork. She stowed it in her bag and sat cross-legged on the very spot in which she stood. 
She closed her eyes and slipped into meditation, the silence around her transportive. After a few minutes, she felt as if a halo, an aura, had settled upon her, and the only rhythm or sound was that of her own heart and breathing. She felt her eyelashes flutter against her cheeks as the vision behind her eyes began to turn burgundy. A misty white oval framed her view and invaded the dark red, filling it with buzzing, pale smoke. The silence began to feel heavy on her ears, pressure building, a slight pain beginning to throb between her eyebrows. But she didn't move, didn't assess the condition of her body. The cold ground beneath her had begun to warm, relieving her shivering. And then she could feel it. It was in the air and the earth, a consistent, enveloping, persuading helplessness. There was no way to save herself. There was no way to ever be whole again. There was no way to ever heal. And with all of this dark dominion in the life of the prince, she was entirely alone. Forever. And then the silence broke. Time opened her eyes at the nearly imperceptible sound of footfalls coming nearer. They kept an even pace, not quite a run, but more swiftly than walking. Time got to her knees and crouched behind a thick bush opposing the oncoming figure. As it broke through the trees, she put her hand over her mouth to muffle a gasp. He was a fairy. Time had never met a fairy before, but she recognized him immediately. He was tall and lean, his arms and legs slender and angular. His tunic and pants were forest green, embroidered and adorned in silver and gray. His skin was fair and faintly blue, his hair thick, supernaturally smooth and black. The bridge of his nose was sharp, his eyes wide and almond-shaped, the irises black and focused. His hair tousled as he jogged through the brush. He kept a hand on the sheath of his black longsword, which was strapped to his hip in a sash along with its matching wakazashi. He passed by her in near silence. She held herself as still as possible lest his clear, unyielding gaze fall upon her movements. But he did not notice her. She realized he was too focused on getting through the forest as quickly as possible. He did not run, for he needed to mine the thick roots, eerie creeks, bushes, and other fallen and fell things in his path. But he was unmistakably in a hurry. Time stood out from behind the bush to see him disappear behind a tree. She had the feeling it was uncommon for even a fairy to take a shortcut through these woods. She might have thought he shared a similar quest, but he moved perpendicular to the black branches rather than along them. Letting out a sigh of some kind of disappointment, Time turned back onto the path of the branches and resumed her journey. Hours passed, and Time's legs began to tremble from exhaustion. This was a problem she had not anticipated, which made her feel quite silly. Where could she sleep safely in this forest, if only she had a companion to keep watch? Finally, after another hour, time could go on no farther. She had come upon a break in the grove into a small field, though very little light broke through the thick black branches and the dark limbs of independent trees. The dreary meadow was full of thick, impressive weeds and incongruous grasses. Time moved to a friendly-looking oak tree. She leaned her back against it and whispered, Please let me rest here. The tree did not move or react, and the air around her seemed very still. So she pulled up her britches slightly 
and sat on the ground, crossing her legs. She withdrew the scabbard from under her cloak and laid it across her lap. She gripped the hilt of the dandelion sword tightly, taking solace in the hard steel. She looked over at the field and observed what stood there. Bull thistles grew boldly, what time estimated as a head above her own. The spiny leaves reached for the obscured heavens, and hardy limbs were devoid of flowers, though it seemed healthy and strong. Time turned her eyes from the thistles and was amazed to see spiny gorse competing for space in the steppe. Time couldn't help but stand up now and investigate this strange collection of plants. She saw the long, stiff branches of knapweed, which poisons the earth. Yet even though the many knapweeds were hardy enough to boast sad yellow flowers, the other insidious plants thrived as if spiting the toxicity of their soil bed. And amazingly, among the ugly shrubs and weeds, miscanthus, silver grass, grew tall among them. This spectacle of destructive, invasive weeds amazed time. She exhaled carefully, but as if she had blown a breeze, the plants wavered. In their movement, it was as if they whispered to each other. Time shivered, fear making her face tingle. Slowly, she backed away from the weeds and leaned against the oak tree, which felt almost warm. She exhaled again. The weeds shuddered. Then, just as she was trying to rally her strength to flee the step, the grass rustled again and waved back and forth as if caught in a current. And to her astonishment, she heard the breathy whisper of, You are weary. Time sucked in a breath, eyes transfixed. She restrained a squeak and tried to swallow her terror. She had not feared the toad, but this ominous collection of weeds towered over her and were numerous and varied. And, more ominous still, perhaps it was not the grass or shrubs that spoke, but something hidden among them. Time poised to run when the weeds inhaled and whispered, We will not harm you. Who are you? Time asked, her legs sluggish. We are as we appear, the grass whispered back. We are the wild. Who are you? Time swallowed. A traveler, she replied evenly, rallying her courage. Why? The weeds exhaled. Why would you travel? I have to pass through, she answered, terrified she would reveal her true intentions. But she could not think of an alternative to talking with these mysterious weeds. She added carefully, It is the fastest way to the town of Flower. Why? The weeds hushed. Why would you brave this place? I have family there who need me, she said. The weeds seemed to shiver. Then they whispered, You have a noble heart. Thank you, Time replied, though she disliked their choice of word. You must rest, the weeds said. You may lie. 
Time frowned and furrowed her brow, knees shaking. She knew quite well this patch of weeds was full of noxious vegetation. Even if the silver grass was beautiful, the soil it grew in would surely poison her. Time took a deep breath and gripped the hilt of the dandelion sword beneath her cloak. Then she said, No, thank you. I believe I must press on. Please. The weeds breathed. Lie among us. Their hushing movements swirled lassos of air around time. Her cloak began to flutter, and a strange odor of sage and sulfur and garlic and mustard filled her nose. It made her stomach turn and her heart race. Exhausted as she was, the windstorm was utterly dizzying. The weeds whispered again, Lie among us. Time's feet began to move on their own, and even though she tried to shake the dizziness away, take control of her trembling limbs, she continued to stagger toward the towering weeds. She was reaching out her hand for them, her vision fuzzy. She could see her fingers outstretched, see them reaching for the anticipating grass, her lovely, sweet, soft bed waiting just beyond the veil. And evermore she heard the writhing whispers of, Lie among us! Lie among us! Lie among us! Time dropped her head and held her breath, trying to rid her body of the horrible perfume that swirled around her. Then... Suddenly, amidst the longing attraction and sensual disorientation, she heard it. It was a small moan, then a squeak, and a groan. Ty managed to open her eyes. The small voice seemed to be waking her. She blinked several times, and just behind where her hand reached, she saw two small black eyes gazing out at her. And then she heard someone whimper, Please help me. Galvanized, no longer alone, and filled with some kind of hope like life-giving breath, time used her every bit of strength to pull her hand back from the weeds. Though her arms were achingly heavy, she reached to her left and gripped the hilt of the dandelion sword. When she drew it from its sheath, the steel whistled in excitement. Time's numb fingers fumbled with the hilt, and her movements were sluggish, restrained, but she wrapped both her hands around the grip and raised the blade over her shoulder. She drew it back, bent her knees, and with monumental effort, swung it into the weeds, slicing through the heavy air and swinging the sharp steel into the front lines of the assaulting army. She slashed through the shrubs, knapweed and thistles and grass. The whispering ceased, replaced with the anguished, scalding, excruciating cries of a tortured storm. But she kept slashing, slicing, chopping and cutting, forward and backward, left, right, up, down, and spinning to and fro. She howled with each blow, clearing her senses of the terrible magic of the weeds through the power of her cries and the searing effort of her muscles. She squeezed the handle of the sword as if she and Dandelion were one form, bound together in their righteous assault on the insidious flora. Steps and staggers, cuts and thrusts, the seconds began to slow and die, her shrieking subsiding, 
and time stopped to realize that she had laid waste to the entire field. She stood there, gasping for breath, ankles ready to capitulate, hands struggling to keep hold on the sword as she let the point rest slightly on the ground between her feet. The weeds lay all around her in pathetic piles. She stood weakly in the middle of the slaughter, observing the plants begin to smoke like yesterday's funeral pyre. Turning her head in survey, and after a moment searching, time saw it. A few feet from her, cowering and huddled with their paws over their eyes, crouched a dark, small, furry creature. After their shaking stilled, and they cautiously lifted their pointed ears, finally they withdrew their paws, opened their eyes, and looked up at her. The creature's round black eyes were close-set, black fur surrounding them. Their face and body were fluffy and brown, a long, curious snout punctuated with a coal-black nose. After a moment staring at time, in which she stared back just as blatantly, the little creature got to their feet. They swished their fluffy brown and black tail, and then sat back on their haunches. "'You killed them all,' the creature said to her in a smooth, soft voice. Time blinked at the animal, still gulping breaths as her heart tried to find a more reasonable tempo. Then she nodded. Her strange companion stood on all fours and walked over to her. They were about the size of a large cat, and she was amazed to see a smile playing across the furry face. She found herself dubious of that smile, but it was a smile nonetheless. "'You saved me,' the creature said. "'Thank you.' They sat and looked up at her. "'You're welcome,' Time said, at last succumbing and dropping to a knee before sitting splay-legged on the ground. "'I am Tanuki,' the creature said nobly. "'I'm Time,' she replied without thinking. I owe you a debt, Tanuki said. No, not at all, Time replied, leaning back on her sword hand and wiping her face with the other. It was your cry that saved me from the spell. You were resisting, Tanuki said. You are stronger than the weeds. Then Tanuki sniffed and looked down. Unlike me. Well, don't feel too poorly for it, Time said wanting to comfort the creature, who had obviously been trapped by the grasses and shrubs for some time. She added, I do have a sword. She smiled and showed Tanuki the dandelion blade. It is a fine weapon, Tanuki said. It suits you very well, Time. Thank you, Tanuki, she replied, heaving a breath and sheathing the sword with effort. Tanuki switched their tail back and forth on the cleared earth. Then they said, I still owe you a debt. You saved my life. And how do you propose to discharge this debt, Tanuki? She asked with a little smirk, pulling her knees up closer to her chest and resting her forearms on them. Tanuki smiled and sniffed loudly, the black nose wiggling. I heard the weeds say you were weary. You must have traveled quite far. That's true, Time said. Tanuki stood up on their back legs and laid a front paw upon their chest. I must confess that I am known to be a trickster. My kind delight in making fools of people. Tanuki smiled toothily. But your heroism has sealed a sacred pact between us. I am bound by honor and greater powers to assist you. Tanuki bowed forward theatrically. 
Time tittered. When Tanuki had dropped down onto all fours again, she said, Thank you. I appreciate that. What can I do for my lady? Tanuki asked. Time squinted at the little creature as she got to her feet and began walking out of the ruined step toward her friendly oak. Tanuki followed at her side. When she reached the tree, she leaned against it. Can I trust you so easily? Time whispered at Tanuki. Tanuki made a little snuffling noise before they said, I pledge you my loyal friendship, protection, and service, Lady Time, and bowed their furry head again. Time smiled weakly and then sank down onto the earth. She crossed her legs and laid the scabbard across her knees again. Then she looked down at Tanuki. Will you keep watch while I sleep? Tanuki grinned smugly and stood up on their back legs. They placed a paw over her heart once more and said, I give you my word as a Tanuki that I shall guard you in your slumber. Please rest easily, my lady, for you have nothing to fear while I am with you. Then Tanuki dropped to their paws and scampered around the trunk of the oak tree. They darted left and right, sniffing loudly at the air. Then the charming varmint scurried back to time and butted their head against her knee. All is well, Tanuki said. May I keep you warm? Don't fall asleep, time replied as she moved the scabbard to allow Tanuki into her lap. I shan't, my lady, Tanuki replied, laying their front paws on her left knee and swishing their tail as they settled. Tanuki's warm, soft weight was incredibly soothing after the fight with the Wayoed, and moments later, Time closed her eyes, leaned her head back against the oak, and fell asleep. She ran deeper into the red aura, surrounded by percussive leaves and twigs. It glowed golder within, ahead, where she had to go. The steps behind her shook the earth. Groaning, creaking, grasping dark branches framed the escape, and then the lids closed on the world. Time's lids opened as she jerked awake. What she saw before her, however, was not the runner's path or the ruined step, but rather an enormous, thick-fingered hand reaching out to her. Just the palm was larger than her head, and it seemed poised to grab just that. With a yelp, time dove to the right out of its reach. Tanuki rolled off of her lap with a cry, and the hand slammed into the oak trunk she'd slept against, shaking its leaves. Getting to her knees, Time looked over her shoulder to set eyes upon her attacker. They looked like a man, gigantic, towering, and green, with a long mossy beard and leaves woven into a mop of yellow-green hair. They wore birch-bark bracers on their bulging forearms and nothing else. A thick, heavy head and wide olive eyes turned, and the giant took an unexpectedly silent step toward her, extending a huge hand again. Tanuki! Time yelled as she leapt forward and rolled out of the creature's path. Her furry companion did not reply. Jumping up, Time drew the dandelion sword with an heroic yop. She gripped the hilt with both hands and pointed it at the giant. I have no quarrel with you, comrade, she shouted. I will be on my way if I have intruded upon your neighborhood. After a rasping, breathy grunt, they spoke. This is all my neighborhood. They sauntered toward her and moved to grab her again. She dodged and swung the blade into the left bracer, which cracked loudly and fell from their arm. Stop that, human, the creature groaned. You must come with me. 
Where? she shouted. Within, the giant said. I must take you within. As the huge hand reached, she slashed off the other bracer. Her opponent roared in frustration. Why? she shouted back. Enough! they shouted, trapping her between two trees and raising a fist high above her. Time readied her sword. She would plunge it into their thigh if she had to, though their hide seemed impenetrable. Suddenly, a lash looped around the giant's wrist and halted their movements. What is this? they said, turning to look up and pulling. A moment later, another rope encircled their free hand and pulled upward, lifting the huge body onto toe tip. Then the ropes joined and bound their wrists together. The giant roared and pulled, but though thin, the lashes seemed strong and tight. A small, dark thing darted between the huge legs and looped two more lashes around the great thick ankles. When they tightened, the giant blinked and quietly exclaimed, Oh no. Then, after a moment of stillness in which time watched them struggle pointlessly, they teetered on their toes and fell onto their back with an incredible thud that shook the ground and sent unseen birds screaming into the air. The giants squirmed on the ground as the dust settled around them. Time lowered her sword. A moment later, Tanuki scampered up to her side. Paws on their hips and looking very condescending, her furry companion exclaimed, My dear Leshy, I understand your propensity for leading humans astray, but surely this sort of attack is out of character. Free me, the Leshy exclaimed. I cannot shift my form. I should think not, Tanuki replied, arms crossing. Not with my bindings. Free me, the Leshy growled again, struggling. Do you know them? Time asked Tanuki. Tanuki nodded and said, He is he of the forest. Huh, Time exclaimed with interest. Then she pointed her sword at the Leshy's belly. I will free you. If you explain and cease your attack, Time said, walking toward him, give me your word and the bargain will be struck. The Leshy groaned in annoyance and ground his teeth. Then he said, You have my word. Time looked down at Tanuki, who nodded, before she stepped forward and cut the ropes that bound the Leshy's ankles. When he sat up, she cut his hands free. He rubbed his wrists and grumbled something like, Vexing Tanuki. Explain then, Time said. Why were you trying to kidnap me? The Leshy grumbled. Then he said, It was put to me. By whom? Time replied. I cannot say, he said flatly. She squinted, noting his choice of words, and figuring the answer herself. She retorted, Why was it put to you? Tanuki looked up at her and frowned in confusion. Then they looked back at the Leshy as he replied, Humans do not travel here. So you sought to abduct me out of principle, she said, for my race. The Leshy sighed. It is my duty to patrol the wood, he said. I must take whom I am told to take. A Leshy taking commands and to do ill, she said. That seems strange. I understood you served no one, and that you took more after other wild spirits, favoring chaos and impartiality over order and malice. 
What could have made you into a servant of enmity? To time's surprise, the leshy sniffled. Then he choked a sob. And then all at once, he raised his giant hands to his face and began to cry. Through his tears and snuffling, he suddenly exclaimed, I could not refuse. Why not? Time asked. With a hopeless sigh and a whimper, he said, I cannot change the direction of the wind, the times of the seasons, the power of the wood. So you're simply following orders, Time said. That's what you mean. Yes, he said sulkily. Even though it is for a plot, she added relentlessly. The leshy nodded regretfully and dropped his hands to the dirt between his knees. Time took a deep breath and put a hand on her hip before saying, It is difficult to resist strong wills. I understand. But you have done very wrong, Leshy. You know this to be true. He nodded mournfully again like an ashamed child. Time went on, saying, The only way that you can reclaim who you are is to take responsibility for your actions. You must atone. Oh, but how could I? The leshy exclaimed, looking up at the dark canopy of leaves. Tell me who else you've taken, Time said, so I may give their loved ones peace. Tell me and heal some of the suffering you've inflicted. The leshy looked deep into her eyes, examining her. You are a strange human, he said. No, she replied. You've just never been to school. She heard Tanuki snort, but she didn't look down at them. Time sheathed the sword and then crossed her arms. Now, she said firmly, tell me who you've taken on someone else's behalf. The leshy stared down at the ground and began to paw at some of the dead wayoud. Then he said, I have only ever taken one by order. Everyone else I've driven out of the wood. He snuffled. <laughs> I thought it would be the only time, the only day I served their dark will. Who did you take? she asked. It was a child, the leshy replied. I believe he was a boy child. I do not know who he was. He wore blue, his skin of your color and his hair brown like rich earth. The leshy grabbed a handful of dirt and let it scatter upon the ground. He wore a yellow band around his head that fell as he ran. I chased him and he went within where he was supposed to go. When was this? Time asked. Spring, the leshy said. A score of springs have since passed. Time nodded. Where did you find him? The leshy took a deep breath and replied, Where the creek meets the meadow in the south. He boasted to the other children in his guard that he was not afraid to come within. I followed him for a time until I could herd him onward. He saw me and ran. He was afraid of me. Then the leshy let out a whine of sadness and fell back into his hands. It is my nature to lead you astray, but not to your doom. He cried freely, coughing and sniffling into his big hands. Time approached him and patted his shoulder. I know it's hard to say no when it seems like you have no choice, but you know you did have a choice. I did, he said, gulping breaths. And you had a choice today, she added, patting him again. You made the right one, comrade. You've taken responsibility and done what you could to right your mistake. That's all we can do. 
The Leshy sniffed loudly and looked up at her. Is that true? Yes, it is, she said. I know we humans can be pretty selfish and foolish, but in the end we mostly want to be good, so we try to admit our mistakes. I know you're not good in the way we want to be good, but you wish to be free from malice and hatred, right? It is not in my nature to hate, he said. It is not in my nature to avenge. All you have to do now is remember that, Time said. I promise I will tell the boy's family what happened to him, so they can move on with their lives and mourn him. Valeshi nodded and got to his feet. Then Time asked, What's your name, comrade? Valeshi blinked in confusion. Then he looked down at Tanuki, who also looked confused. Then he said, Leshi. Time smiled and lifted an eyebrow. She looked between Tanuki and Leshi. With caution, she asked, Do all Leshi and Tanukis have the same name? The Leshi furrowed his brow and said, Why wouldn't we? Isn't it hard to tell one another apart when you're talking to each other about each other? Tanuki and Leshi turned to look at each other in mutual bewilderment, then looked back at her, nonplussed. Tanuki replied, Leshi and Tanuki aren't like humans. Time smiled and chuckled at herself. She tapped her forehead. With self-deprecation in her voice, she said, Ah, yes. I suppose my understanding is rather beside the point. Tanuki chortled and looked back up at the Leshi, who gazed down at them with appreciation before turning upon Time. Tanuki gazed at her, too, with a look of mischievous admiration. You may go along, human, the Leshi said. I will not trouble you again. Then he wiped his face on his forearm and turned to tromp back into the trees. They heard him blow his nose, and then there was silence. Time took in a deep breath and sat on the ground. So much for keeping watch, she said to Tanuki, lifting a judgmental eyebrow. Tanuki shrugged and giggled in embarrassment. I suppose the perfume of the weeds exhausted me more than I realized, but I hope my rope work has earned your forgiveness. Yes, indeed, she said with a laugh. Though, does that not mean you have discharged your life debt? Tanuki hummed. Not quite, they said. Though, even if it were so, I find myself personally moved to support you in your quest. I have no quest, Time said. I'm just passing through. Tanuki nodded knowingly and sat on the ground as Time leaned back against the oak. We should move on, she said but I need a moment to gather myself and break my fast. She reached into her bag and ate an apple and took a gulp of water from her skin. She offered some food to Tanuki, who declined and proceeded to eat the insects beneath a fallen chunk of bark. Do you know who the boy was? Tanuki asked after they'd eaten. I have a guess, Time said. Based on his clothes and the Leshy's tail, I believe he was the lost prince. Is that so? Tanuki replied with interest. Twenty years ago, the prince went missing in this wood, Time said. It was apparent to all of us that he'd been swallowed up by the magic of the place. Some creature or force had killed him in vengeance. I was a child myself, but I recall that we were all prepared for our queen to raise the wood to the ground. She'd encouraged industry to use it for lumber, so surely the murder of her beloved son would turn her eye toward revenge as well. But that didn't happen, Tanuki said. Nay, Time replied, 
having another gulp of water. In her grief, the queen turned to the rabble, the rebels, those who had opposed her destruction of the wood and the insatiable appetite of her queendom. She knew that they had also lost loves. The poor are experts in grief. Time smiled softly. Our queen turned to them in her sorrow and found that she was humbled by the power of nature. Despite all of her resources and authority, she held no sway over the wood, no sway over wild places or wild creatures. The wild had taken the person she loved most, her child, and had taken from her as she had taken from it, and made her understand better the suffering of working and indigent folk. So what happened? Tanuki probed, looking riveted. What did she do? Our queen made a pact with the rebels, Time said. She relinquished her crown and enabled the utter destruction of centuries of institutions. They destroyed the class system and seized territories and properties owned by the landed gentry to share among everyone. They dismantled state power and instituted elections, and they revolutionized our economy and abolished money. Are things better? Tanuki asked. Much better, she said. We do not live luxurious lives. If he were alive, her son would no longer wear a crown as he did that day playing at the edge of the wood. But we have what we need, and we have plenty of time to enjoy it. We have labors and learning and love together. Our streets are clean, our bellies are full, and our minds are free to wander. So, Tanuki said, what the lechi did... His orders. They worked. The woods' revenge worked. Time nodded sagely. She looked at Tanuki and said quietly, It worked. After a moment gazing into the close-set black eyes of her whiskered compatriot, Time got to her feet and adjusted her cloak. Tanuki was gazing at her pensively, analytically, but time said nothing more on the previous subject. Instead, she said, Come along. I believe it's morning and we must make the most of our day. Tanuki nodded and followed as time crossed the clearing and moved deeper into the wood. As she walked, Tanuki coming up beside her, she discreetly marked the black, twisting branches above and how they seemed to stir, just slightly, in the morning air. To be continued. Thank you for listening to part one of Legends of Time, The Lost Tree, written and read by me, Stephanie Ed. For part two, visit stephanieed.com, subscribe, and follow Stephanie J. Ed on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs>